Hey there, fellow streakers. We are so excited to be with you today, and we have a very special guest, someone who we've been wanting to talk to for quite some time. She's the CEO of Disruption Advisors, which is a tech-enabled talent development company, and and Inc. 5000 fastest growing company in 2020. The top uh, 10 business thinkers, according to Thinkers 50, Wall Street Journal and USA Today best-selling author of Smart Growth, which we're gonna talk about a little bit more today, how to grow your people and to grow your company. The top voice on LinkedIn in 2020 with 1.8 million followers, former award-winning Wall Street analyst, co-founding the Disruptive Innovation Fund with the late Clayton Christensen and the host of the popular Disrupt Yourself podcast. We have Whitney Johnson with us today. Let's start streaking. How are you doing, Jamie? I'm doing so great, Jeff. That was the best intro. I was waiting for like the background applause to come in because because uh, that's how I feel right now. I know. I'm like, where's where's the applause? We've got Whitney on. Whitney, we're so excited to have you. I'm so happy to be here. And you reminded me. Yes, thank you for that introduction. And you all know that an introduction really makes a difference. I, I remember um, a few years ago, I was doing a speaking engagement and the person who was announcing me announced me like a sports announcer. Like we were at a basketball game. Yes. And now we have. And he got everybody to stand up and cheer. It was a great speech. Yep. Yes. You just feel better you when feel you feel that energy, and it just comes uh, and it just comes yeah. alive. It's like getting walk on music and the announcement. It's fantastic. That's, That's right. What and I was you, just... you just gave me walk on music and the announcement. So thank you for that. You're welcome. Thank you for joining us. We're so glad to have you. We are so excited to have you on. We've been we have Jeff and I have been talking nonstop about all the questions we want to ask and and the different things that we're learning as we're reading smart growth and as we've been listening to your podcasts and just how it all fits in with the s curve and streaking and so we're super excited to be able to chat with you for a little bit today yeah s is for streaking <laughs> you bet s is for streaking and that's one of the things i love about how the s curve works together with streaking which we'll get to in a little bit but before we get there um start start just a little bit with your personal journey as far as the s curve is concerned and and how that all came into being and what it was that took you in that direction mm, okay all right so let me let me back up a little bit give you a little bit of my history so that you can know how i got there um i I actually studied music in college. And then um, once I graduated, moved to New York, my husband was in school. I needed to work um, because we needed food because food is really good. And um, I, was, I was the designated breadwinner. And so I was a music major. I was a woman. Um, I didn't have very much confidence. I started working on Wall Street as a secretary. And I'll get to why this is important in just a minute. So I start um, I do that for a couple of years and I start realizing I might be doing this for a long time because PhDs make, take a long time. Why would I make X when 10X is a possibility? And so I start wow. taking business courses at night, accounting, finance, um, and have a boss who believes in me that allows me to move from being a secretary to an investment banker. Did that for a number of years and then eventually ended up doing equity research. So now I'm doing equity research and picking stocks and this is a buy, this is a sell. And early 2000s, I have this experience where we're training my fellow equity analysts. I spent a lot of time on that training, not really paid for that training. It's the apex of American Idol. A brand called you 
had just come out by Tom Peters. I spent all this time thinking about what's the brand of all of my colleagues? Are you the comeback kid? Are you the forensic analyst? Are you the you know industry connection person? All this time, and I had this aha that I'm actually more interested in the momentum of people than I am of stocks. Wow. Data point number one. Yeah. I continue with what I'm doing, but I also discover the innovator's dilemma written by Clayton Christensen. That was very useful for me. He talked about the idea of a silly little thing can take over the world. It's this explanatory mechanism for me because I'm covering the emerging markets. I'm looking at telecom and I'm seeing every quarter wireless is just beating my estimates. I can't figure out what is going on. I read the innovator's dilemma and I say, oh, that's what's happening. Wireless is disrupting wireline. Nice. It doesn't matter that the telephone is this crummy little thing. People who can't afford a landline who don't have access to credit, they don't care that the sound quality is bad. They just want to talk to people. Mm -hmm. So they're buying wireless phones. I understand now disruption. I'm applying it as an analyst. I have a conversation with a boss. I've been in a role for about eight years and say, hey, I want to do something different. The boss says to me, we like you right where you are. Yeah, you're really good. We don't want I you to have, change. Exactly. I now have this disruption in my brain and I realize, oh, disruption can also apply to people. So about a year later, I disrupt myself. I leave Wall Street. Wow. Now we'll get to the, we'll get to the S curve. A couple years later, I have the immense privilege to launch a fund with Clayton Christensen. And we're investing and we're thinking about disruption, but we're also using the S curve that was popularized by the sociologist Rogers to think about how quickly an innovation would be adopted. Well, you now know the pattern, right? Momentum of people, not stocks. Disrupt yourself, not products. It wasn't much of a leap for me to say, I think that this S curve that we're using to help us figure out whether we should invest or when we should invest could also help us understand how individuals learn and how we grow. Yeah. So that's where the aha came from. How much I, the courage that it took to leave a high paying where you're respected, trusted job and really career to mm. disrupt yourself and go there. I mean, how did how did you and it sounds kind of odd, but how did you get that courage? What was it that said, I'm going to do this? Because that's a, that's a scary moment to jump from one S curve yeah. to another. It's such a great question. Um, I think that there's I, I definitely think there is courage. So I do not want to take that away from myself. But I, I think there's a couple of things that happen. Number one is that when you disrupt yourself, when you step back from one thing that you think will slingshot you into something else, you do it because even though the functional job is being done, so I'm earning money, putting food on the table, because my husband at this point is a, a college professor. So I'm, we're both breadwinners, but I'm the primary breadwinner. Mm -hmm. um, there wasn't an emotional job that was being done. And if you look at when people make big career decisions, it's not that the functional job isn't being done. They're making enough money. They've, they've got their needs cared for physically, but there's something emotional that's not being done. And for me, I wanted to continue to grow and they didn't want me to continue to grow. They wanted me just to keep doing what I was doing. And so that was one of the, the, the sort of driving factors. There are other factors that put me in a much less favorable light, which is, I think, well, this isn't the less favorable, but 
in, in on reflection, I do think that there was some advantage to my being a female. Mm. I'll, I'll tell you why. Because in our society, men are much more identified with their career. Like, I am a man, this is my career. And again, we're talking 20 years ago, so things have even shifted since then. So for me as a woman, I wasn't identifying with my career in quite the way that I think a man might have. Mm -hmm. So it was a slightly easier decision. And then the third thing I would say is that sometimes when we disrupt ourselves, we know that it's something that we need to do, but and in my case, I think I just had this confidence that I would figure it out and perhaps was overconfident. It's been a couple of rough years after that, but I did believe that I could figure it out. And importantly, and I think this is especially important, I had a husband, I had a partner who has never, ever, ever told me not to jump. Okay, mm. that's always supported that. Mm -hmm. That was one thing that I noticed as I was reading um, in the book when you talk about when you invested in the Upstart magazine yes. and, and that that did not go the way that you had planned and, and referencing your husband that you talked about how he, he saw things and that you wish you had listened a little bit more. I did want to ask a question about that. So you, you talk about in the book, um, explore where you're, you're switching from an S curve. So you're, you're wanting to go to a new place of growth and, and then you get to this phase of collecting information and you have a background of obviously studying and analyzing as an analyst, mm -hmm. you spent a lot of time analyzing. And my question was, is that as you get into this collection, this collector process of collecting information and gathering and, and kind of referencing when you talked about the getting involved in the Upstart magazine that you wished mm -hmm. you had taken a little bit more time, that you kind of jumped a little bit quicker than what you mm -hmm. wished you had and mm -hmm. were a little bit more optimistic than what the data maybe said that you should have been. My question is, is that how do you know when to stop analyzing and collecting data and just make the Go. jump? Do you know what yeah. I mean? Because because sometimes I look at myself and I'm like, I could be pretty comfortable in just the collecting data stage. Let's just stay here <laughs> and keep collecting. But the truth is we're when we're making a change to go to something that's going to require growth, we're never going to collect enough information that can give us that mm. that guarantee that this is the right thing. And, and so you personally, because I think you've done this a lot and coming from a background of an analyst and recognizing how important analyzing the data is, how do you personally know when it's time to say, okay, I've analyzed, I've collected enough, it's, mm. it's time to take action? Mm. It's a great question, Jamie. And one of the things I think is interesting and, and evolutions of the book is that I, I do think that oftentimes I was talking to people who were struggling to move from collector and say, I've got enough data, let's go. Um, and, and I'll talk to that in just a minute. But I also think I had a, a reader, Carol Kaufman, who's at the Institute of Coaching and Egon Zender say to me, you know, sometimes Whitney, people are impetuous and they go too fast. Mm -hmm. So so let me talk to both of those because I think, I think if we do both, we'll probably get most of the people. Which is great because you're talking to Jeff and you're talking to me. So you've got, oh, I feel like Jeff is the one that yeah. is like, let's do this. Like yeah. I'll give you just a quick example. When we yeah. were researching getting our big 12 passenger van that we have, 
I was kind of like, oh, I don't know, I don't know. And then one morning I said, you know, maybe I could do that. He had special ordered that van a half an hour later because that was his window of me saying, maybe there's a possibility there. So we've got this impetuousness tempered with me who I'm like, I could analyze forever. I'm, I'm perfectly fine to never jump. So yes, talk to both. <laughs> that, and, and I think that's a great match. Um, so, so I think from the collector phase, one of the things that sometimes happens um, is that we are there are too many choices but we also get paralyzed because it's it's scary to do something new and so we start to perseverate and so i i can give you an example where this just happened to me not too long ago is that i was recording an audio version of something for the next big idea book club and i thought okay collect and rehearse and collect and rehearse and then I got to this point where I said, oh, I'm going to do another take. And then I said, no, no, you got to stop. It's time to let it go. Mm. So I think that, I think truth tellers can be useful in this area as well. It's like, so you've gone beyond the point of it collecting data. You know that you want to do this. You know that you have an ecosystem that's going to support you in doing this. It's not, it's, it, it, Jamie, this actually happens all the time where people are like, I need to go back to school in order to change my career. And you're like, you already have four degrees. You don't need to go back to school. Just go get a new job. Right. And so it's that place of where you know in your gut and you're just afraid. Mm -hmm. And so you just have to go. And that is where streaking comes in. Because that go is you just do something really small. It's not, I'm going to buy the 12 passenger van today. It's going to be going to look at how much they cost right and then tomorrow i'm going to look at what color i like of a van and then the third day i mean so so that's how you start to get past that that paralysis that can step in is you start collecting small small pieces of data put it into a streak form and then you start to you probably don't say streak form but then you start to build momentum we can start talking about street form, though. But I did love that. I, it, it, it did not get past me in your book that when you talked about your wanting to start running, that you did say laughably simple. And I was like, mm -hmm. yes, laughably mm -hmm. simple, something so small that and, and, and I love that because it takes away that feeling that it has to be big, that it has to be something that's impressive to other people. And mm -hmm. it just gives you the opportunity to say, no, this is I'm just going to embrace this laughably small thing and start here. And then I'm going to do it again tomorrow and then I'm going to do it again right. the next day and those things build upon each other until you have more of what you were talking about of of now you have a level of confidence right to be able and, to and, move forward and, and also to know if you actually want to right yes you've got enough information to know if you want to okay so yes. let's go to the flip side now which is the impatience piece so um and you'll notice I'll be able to tell a story about this as well. So we we toggle, right? I, I'm guessing, Jamie, that you probably have times where you are impetuous. And I'm mm -hmm. guessing that um Jeff, you have times where you are paralyzed, right? We, They're we, rare. They're rare, but yes, every once in a while I do. <laughs> so one of the things I noticed is that sometimes we go through the collector phase too quickly. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that can, there can be an impatience because we don't like open loops. Let's just go. I don't like open loops. Right. I don't like uncertainty. Let's just go. And that's what happened with my husband in that story that I tell is I didn't like the open loop. I just wanted to close it. Let's just go. Right. Also, when I left Wall Street, probably would have been good to collect a little bit more data. 
let's just go. Right. And so that's where this launch point is very important also for people who are comfortable being decisive. Sometimes you need to stay there a little bit longer mm-hmm. so that you can make a better decision. Um, and that can help avoid crises like the, the story that I talked about with my husband. Mm-hmm. And that the reason I said it's a good match is that if you've got you know, if you're a person who just sort of zooms through collector, then you've got Jamie who can say, let's get a little bit more data. And if you're a person who stalls out a collector, you've got an accelerator who says, let's go. Let's go. And between the two, if you're working together well in a good marriage, that's what happens. Mm-hmm. Then you help offset and you, and you, you mitigate a lot of risk and you still make progress. As we've uh, been talking, I th- I've been thinking to myself, it'd probably be helpful for our streakers out there to just for you, Whitney, to go through the S curve. What are the yep. what is what are the three different areas or the, the yeah the three different areas of the S curve, and what are the points along the way, so that they have a basis a little bit because we've been talking a little bit about the launch point, and I think it'd be mm-hmm. good to to go there, and then we'll get into some of the more specifics. Yep, absolutely. All right, so here's what's happening for all of you in your brain. You're every time you start something new, your brain has this predictive model, and it's and it's it's saying. It has this hypothesis of like, what do I need to do to get to the top of this mountain? And so this mountain that we're talking about, this S-curve, which I call the S-curve of learning that models what personal growth looks like, has three major phases. There is the launch point, which you could think of as base camp. It's sort of this horizontal line. And then there's the sweet spot, which is this vertical, almost vertical line. It's a steep, sleek back of the S. And that's the place, well, I'll get back to that in a minute. And then you've got the mastery phase, which is also horizontal lines. So horizontal, steep, sleek back, and another horizontal line. So it's kind of an unusual S, but it's an S nonetheless. You can think of it as base camp, climbing the mountain and top of the mountain. So your brain is running this predictive model. At the launch point, when you're in base camp, what's going on is you're making lots of predictions, many of which are inaccurate. Because... <laughs> You've just got this hypothesis, which means that your dopamine is dropping. And the dopamine is this chemical messenger of delight. And so it doesn't feel very good. The other thing that's happening is you're taking a lot of data, a lot of information, and you're literally making memories. And so that is very cognitively taxi. So if you're exhausted at the launch point, of course you are. You also have identity, identity questions of like, well, who am I if I'm not who I was? So all of these accumulate to your having experienced the launch point. It is not that growth isn't happening. If you think back to from a streaking standpoint, from a percentage basis to go from one day to two days to four days, from a percentage standpoint, that's really rapid growth. Mm -hmm. It's just that nothing is apparent. Mm -hmm. And so the experience that you're having is this is really slow. So that's your launch point. Now let's go to the sweet spot, the steep part. This is the place where your model is becoming more accurate. You're making predictions sometimes they're right. And when they're right, your brain goes, oh, I like this. And then it's more right and more right. So you're getting lots and lots of dopamine. And so it is exhilarating because what's happening here is it is still hard, but it's not too hard anymore. Mm. And it's a lot easier, but it's not too easy. And so you, um, you're having this experience of, of growing really quickly. You're taking in new information, but it's not too much. Your identity is starting to shift. You, you still have to be deliberate, but it's starting to become who you are. And so this is the place where growth not only is fast, it feels fast. And then mastery, 
the model, you figured it out. You know how to do it. I ran a triathlon, or not ran, I competed in triathlon. You can tell mm -hmm. I'm not a triathlete, but you all are. Um, or you do marathons. And yeah. so you're like, okay, there's no more dopamine. And I figured this out. I know what I'm doing. I, I've done this many times. So I'm not very challenged. Nothing to do here, nothing to see here. So growth is slow. Mm -hmm. And because growth is slow, if you just stay there, your plateau becomes a precipice, bad. Mm -hmm. And so you've got to start the growth cycle all over again. So you can keep climbing or jump to new curve. And when you understand this is the map of the mountain of growth, you increase your capacity to grow. So you now have this simple visual model of what it looks like. You can orient yourself. And when you know where you are, you know what's next. So that is the S curve of learning. So ingenious and so um, uh, applicable to how I can now start to think about where I'm at in this S-curve mm -hmm. and be comfortable with some of the areas. And I say comfortable purposely because I understand a little bit. I may not be physically comfortable. I may not be emotionally comfortable, but I understand where I'm at so I can accept that just a little bit more. And I feel like you said comfortable. I thought confident in the decisions that I'm making because I'm able to identify where I am. And so you know, when the, when the growth is slow, instead of questioning, oh, should I have done this? Should I have not done this? You're able to identify, no, this is what it's like where I'm at and, mm -hmm. and I'm doing the right things and I just need to be patient and keep doing it. And then also mastery when you get to the point where you're like, I'm bored and looking back and thinking, but I've spent so much time and maybe I should stay comfortable being able to say, no, it's time to try something new. And yeah. so being able to identify where I am to me would give me a huge amount of confidence as I make those decisions to be like, yeah, this is, I understand why I'm feeling this way and and I know what I need to do next. Yep, exactly. And um, so you just reminded me, I wanna say something about streaking here because I think this is really important. So when you're at the launch point, we talked about how your dopamine is dropping. So one of the hacks that you can use to get dopamine at the launch point is to do those laughably small goals because then you're gonna meet the goal and you might even exceed the goal and so then you get lots of dopamine. And so when you're in that place of wanting to do something big and grand and you're in the muck of being at the launch point, when you do the streaking that you talk about, that helps you build that momentum in that place it's hard to start then to move into the sweet spot. And so I love how, how um, compatible and how useful streaking is to move people off the launch point of the curve. I've thought about that quite a bit as far as the streaks. And I wanted to pause and, and point out to streakers out there as you listen to this, there is the floor of your streaks, which are things that you're always going to be doing, you know, in your spiritual life, physical life, in your professional life, and in your um, personal life. There's the floor of the streaks. And the S curve can be built on that floor. And then there's the S curve streaks. And those S-curve streaks are specific to that particular S-curve. Um, there's a couple of different examples that, I, that come to mind that we don't need to talk about now, but where individuals have been climbing their S-curve and they have streaks. And the, and the whole idea of the streak is to switch the paradigm from the activity I'm accomplishing to how many times in a row can I do that activity and keep it alive? And that provides that dopamine hit because now I'm mm -hmm. like, I've, and when you get into a, a, a three digit streak or even a four digit streak, the dopamine to see how long I can keep that going really comes into play and it helps up the, the, um, the, 
it's sharp point. I, I say ben. sharp point, but the uh, climbing the sweet spot. Yeah. Sweet, yeah. Spot. sweet spot. Thank you. <laughs> the words yeah. weren't there for me. Mm -hmm. The sweet spot. And then as you get up to the top and evaluating it and saying, you know what? And this is one of the things we talk about with streakers that have gotten to the top. You know what? That streak has served its purpose. It's mm -hmm. okay to let it go now. And I That's can go right. to another S curve. Mm -hmm. That's right. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Yeah. This has been so much fun. I'm having a ball. <laughs> Just enjoying so much so as learning. We, so as we look at it then now, let's let we've talked a little bit about explore and collector. I'd like to go into a little bit on the sweet spot as far as accelerator and metamorph. But before we go there, there was something that you mentioned in your book and I I was particularly intrigued by this. And it was this it was this uh, in the accelerator and this this will get us into accelerator. One of the th one of the things that I learned from my career in finance was that if you finish strong, if you get your buy and sell decisions right, everything in between the sweet spot, for example, takes care of itself. That was that was very intriguing to me because it it's almost like if I'm deliberate in one area and really focused, then some of the other areas take care care of itself. Give us some surround sound on that. What were some of the things that led to that particular statement? And what were some of the things you're thinking? Yeah. About? Okay. So let me give you the background of the statement and then I, and I can give some examples. So this is based on research from Myron Scholes who won a Nobel prize, um, the Myron Scholes option model. So the research that he did was he looked at, um, the stock market from 1857 to a few years ago. And on average, the market returned 5%. So if you had invested $100 in 1857, it would go to, it would be $300,000 today. Pretty substantial. Yeah. But then he did two other tests. He said, if over this period, every four and a half years, you took a month long vacation and you sold your stocks before you left and then bought them back when you came back, you would have very different returns. So for example, if during that period you sold your stocks and it was the best performing time of the market over these past 150 years your return would only be one percent so your hundred dollars would be eight hundred dollars if you were wow. out of the market when the stock market was performing well and okay. here's the gobsmacker if during that period you sold your stocks and it was the worst performing time, the, uh, the, the CAGR, the compounded annual growth rate would be 9% and $100 would be not $300,000, not $800, it would be $130 million. Wow. Oh my goodness. <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay. <laughs> All because you got the beginning and the ends right. And the ends right. So, let me give you a couple of examples of, of what this looks like. So let's talk about an ending strong. This is a really simple example, but I think it illustrates this idea very well. So, well, there's a big example of knowing when to leave a job, right? Right. This happens to CEOs all the time. They stay mm -hmm. too long. You got to know when to fold. It is time to go. <laughs> right. You don't want to get kicked off your curve. Yeah. But there's a more simple example. Well, Kenny Rogers just came right to my mind there. That's you got to right. know when to fold them. I know. And I've never played poker in my life. So and neither have I. Like, like, I don't know if you've had to. You just had to have heard the song. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And be old enough to heard the song. Yeah. So we, but, but not too long ago, I was part of a mastermind group. And we specifically had set it for, I think it was for 10 weeks. 
And it was a really wonderful experience. We we were helpful to each other. We shared stories. We really connected at a very in a very meaningful way. And when it was over, a number of people said, "Well, should we continue this? Let's let's just keep going. Let's let's reach out to people." And I was the brave person, and I raised my hand and I said, "You know what? This has been wonderful, but I think we should end now. Mm-hmm. We'll we'll know each other. We'll like each other. We'll we'll feel connected to each other when we finish, when we see each other. But let's just end it now." and just have this moment that's precious to us. Mm-hmm. And after I said that, they all said, oh yeah, you're right. But it was hard because we wanted to keep going, mm-hmm. but it was the right decision because now we have this moment in time that was special for us. And it doesn't get diluted by experiences afterward that make that moment less precious. So that's an example of knowing when to stop something. Mm-hmm. Um, a good example of, of a strong start is thinking about my business partner. Her name is Amy Humble. And we initially did a lot of exploring, a lot of collecting. Um, and uh, a strong start meant a very long launch point phase. And then once we decided we wanted to work together and actually be business partners and not just work together, it took us a year and a half to negotiate our contract. Wow. Not because we were being difficult, not any of that. We were trying to run a business, but also because we wanted to take our time and make sure that we were working out all those things that you have to work out. And you all know this, when mm-hmm. you have a business partner, it's kind of like a marriage. Like it's easier yeah. to get divorced oh, yeah. than it is to leave a business partner. <laughs> oh, yeah. It is certainly that. <laughs> so if you are willing to start strong by being in the explorer phase, by being in the collector phase for an extended period of time, however long it takes, not getting paralyzed there, then now when and we finished this agreement i think it's been a year ago now beginning the the middle is taking care of itself Mm -hmm. so those are two examples of a strong finish and a strong start fascinating i loved as you were i was thinking as you were talking about being able to finish and and having the courage to say you know what we're done and the, the the one thing i thought of i'm like this must be a true principle because it also it's the same thing with food <laughs> that, you know, <laughs> yes. that feeling of I enjoyed that ice cream and it's okay to say enough. I don't need to have more of it mm-hmm. and to just value that it brought that joy for that moment. But there is something inside of us that's like, oh, but I loved it and more is better. And recognizing that to be able to look at a situation and, and say that was good for what it was and more may not be better like mm-hmm. it was good it served its purpose and and we finished strong and let's let's call it done and and being able and, to again identify that has a lot of power well and jamie what i love about that is that, especially when it comes to ice cream for me it's chocolate chip cookies but that ability to say this this is enough and you won't enjoy that next cookie or right. that next bowl of ice cream as much as you enjoyed this first one. as much as yes and then also just recognizing that sometimes I wonder if, if so you've, you've done this thing, so your example of, of being a part of that group, and it's been amazing and it's brought these rewards. And is there a little part that's like, oh, I want to stay here because if I leave, I'm starting another area of growth. And, and now this has been great. This has been successful. Let's just keep it going. And being able to have that maybe wisdom or experience or model, I guess, to say, you know what, this was good. And if I stay, I actually 
won't be growing anymore. I, right. I, I'll start to get stagnant and, and, mm-hmm. and being able to say, okay, it's time to, to stop this because I have accomplished a huge amount of growth in that area. And I want to take the time to appreciate that and add that to, to my reservoir of things that I've learned and not taint it and, and then move on to the, to another but, phase. Now I've, I've but, exhausted that and I need to move forward. So. And this goes back to what you were just saying a minute ago, Jeff, this idea of that becomes your floor S curve to do your next streak. Yeah. Yeah. At least if I understood you correctly. Yeah. 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 You did completely. Cause I think that what, what's happening through these S curves is it's not that, and, and you correct me where I'm wrong here. It's not when I start a new S curve, I've lost what I did before. Nope. It's additive. Mm-hmm. It's now I'm starting a new S curve and I'm, I'm probably bringing with me learning and experience and everything else that I had. I, I think of when your, your conversation with Harry Kramer and, and I thought of that every single time, everything, every time he started a new S curve, it wasn't that he left behind things that he had learned and known. It's that he now started with that knowledge, but it was a new S curve. And I've really now, I've, I've actually stepped up and mm-hmm. I'm on a new floorboard of streaks that are now going to get me to another area of learning. Mm-hmm. Is that, I mean, am I kind of capturing yeah, absolutely, that right? Absolutely. And for, for those, the, for those, so within my faith tradition, the way I would think about it is it's, it's basically this idea of this escalator that's modeling for you what I would describe as eternal progression. Mm-hmm. Yes. So you're just building and then building and then building and no S curve that you're on, whether it's it, often, you're gonna be on many S curves that are not the right S curve for you right now, but it doesn't mean you didn't learn anything. It just, you just build on that to go in a different direction. So you just, it's this escalator up to continually progress. Right. And, and I like that, I like that the model is there to help you to identify what you were meant to learn and, and what you did learn in that opportunity because I love that you've used examples of successful S curves and examples of times where you're like that didn't go well and that I, and I decided not mm-hmm. to do that as well as opportunities to help you decide between a couple options of S curves that were in front of you but recognizing you know what I probably can't do both of these at the same time and and being able to evaluate which one you want to pursue in that moment. And and so yeah. I love the model giving you this place to look at it and say, okay, that one was successful and I learned this from it and this one wasn't and this is why it wasn't. And and so then taking that knowledge forward and being able to make better decisions going forward. Right. So Jamie, it's interesting that you're, you're bringing up two stories that are in the book that would not have been there. And I, let me just editorialize for a minute because I think this is important is that when we go through these experiences, I'm holding inside of me all the things that didn't work. Mm-hmm. I know they're there. Um, but as I wrote the book, I thought, well, I don't need to show people all this. Like, I know it's there. I, it, they don't need to see it. But one of the people who was reading a draft of the book, her name is Julie Berry. She said to me, um, she didn't say it quite like this, but she said it's too chirpy. Oh. In other words, you need to talk about the struggle. Mm-hmm. Don't just make it sound like it's this 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 joy ride where it's just everything is easy. You need to talk about the hard parts. And so those two stories that you referred to of the magazine mm-hmm. and then making that decision to either do investing or this book are both in the book because of that conversation, mm-hmm. which goes back wow. to the importance of feedback. Yes. Which be, I have a personal streak to work on feedback and so I valued that section immensely 
just because it's such a huge, uh, it's such a double-edged sword. It's something that feedback in general is something that is so valuable and so needed, but yet can be so difficult to work through. And that honestly was one of the reasons that I set that streak was not to necessarily get more feedback, but to understand how to handle it better, to understand Uh. how to weed through and look at something and say that was valuable feedback or that was just that person's opinion. And then on top of it, when it's valuable feedback to be like, okay, that doesn't mean that I'm a terrible person. It just means that I've got this area that I need to improve in, or that doesn't mean that I did a terrible job. It just means I could have done it better and, and, so it's a process, yeah. definitely a process. Well, and what I love about that is it's also, and you're kind of saying this, but framing it for me is it's, it's an opportunity every day to test your sense of identity and worth. Because mm. as like- you're processing all of that, it's allowing you to practice, um, what do I want to do with this? And does this mean that my sense of self is intact or not? And how is it impacting that? And so it's a great practice in in and resilience and identity as well, as I'm hearing you say that. I love that. So that leads me to another thing that Jeff and I had been talking about extensively the other day is one of the things that we talk about in our book in in streaking was having a B statement of who do you want to be? Mm -hmm. And when we were talking with you on your podcast and and you reference it in your book as well, is the power of saying I am. Mm -hmm. And it has been a very fun conversation for Jeff and I to bat back and forth this difference between I want to be and I am. And and so I wanted to ask you a little bit to kind of talk a little bit about the power of what would be the benefit of saying I am versus saying I want to be and where do you find kind of a place for both of those statements? Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. So let me start with the I am. I, I don't have an immediate answer for I want to be so, but we'll, we'll actually I do. I think for me, I want to be is something where you're, you're kind of toying with the idea of I want to be this. And you're asking yourself, do I actually want to be on this S curve? I think I want to be this, but I don't know for sure. Mm-hmm. For me, the I am statement is once you have made the decision, like I am a person who receives feedback well, period, full stop, done. So you, you've made a decision, you've committed. And so for me, that would be, I aspire to be this to I am this. And am the this. reason that I am is so powerful. And there are a couple of different pieces of, of data that put this all together for me. One was some great research uh, from Gregory Walton out of Stanford, where he talked about the difference between saying I run and I am a runner. So it changed your identity. Um, I remember learning a lot from Bob Proctor, who talked a lot about the importance of I am this, of, of believing you already are something because then your subconscious mind has to make it true because your subconscious mind doesn't know the difference between a truth and a lie. I remember being influenced by Brooke Snow's work um, of this idea of I am is a, in the Judeo-Christian tradition, it's it's a creative statement and it's a, a name for God. Mm-hmm. And so when you're saying I am, you're literally using words that are evoking a creative power. And I would love to, if you're okay, just share a quick story from the book that I think really illustrates this. Yeah, we love that. that. Yeah. I was going to ask you for the story anyway, so please. Yeah, okay, perfect. (laughs) Okay. So there's this wonderful story, um, a person that I interviewed, um, his name is Marcus Whitney, 
great last name. I was going to say, you know what, when I was reading that, just a little quick interrupt, is I kept on, I'm like, okay, is this Whitney or, no, it's Marcus, because I kept going back and forth between those two. (laughs) I know, I tried to get my editors to let me just say Marcus, and then I said, you know, conventional, and we can't do that, so you have to do Whitney, but it was very confusing. There you go. So anyway, so here's here's a guy, he's 24 years old, he had, um, He'd gone to college, but he dropped out because he was at the University of Virginia, but he dropped out because he discovered that he liked weed and rap more than he liked school. And now he's 24 <laughs> years old and he has he has two ch- or no one child, another one on the way. He's married and he is working as a waiter and living in an efficiency hotel. I didn't know what that is, but now I will tell you it's a week to week housing. Yep. Okay. So life is not good. He yeah. is just like I was going to go to UVA and become an architect. And now I'm working as a waiter in an efficiency hotel. I got to do something. So he said, well, I think I want to become a computer programmer. Now, fortunately for him, when he was 10 years old, his uncle Otis worked. I love that name, Otis. Otis, Otis worked at IBM and he had given him a computer. And so he played around with the computer. And so he had some knowledge of computer programming and thought, okay, maybe I'm going to go back and do computer programming. But here he is. He's 24 years old. He's an African-American male. People do not look at him and think he's a computer programmer. Mm-hmm. He's working all day, and he, but he's also studying for five or six hours at night and wants to become a programmer. And then he says this. He says, he didn't say, I want to become a programmer. He said, I am a programmer. And here's what I'm going to read the direct quote. He says, there was more to it than just hard work. My mindset was critical. There wasn't a lot of evidence around me that I could be successful in making this transition. I had to create a mind state that would support my endeavor. I didn't achieve that by believing I was becoming a programmer. I achieved that by believing I already was a programmer. This is very important. By believing I already was, even though it wasn't obvious to others, I bypassed many of the limiting thoughts and doubts about my ability to become a programmer. I never said I was a great or even good programmer. I just believed I was a programmer. And this small tweak of believing we already are what we want to be has significant effects. So he became a programmer. His first gig was his um, his wife needed a midwife. The midwife needed a website. Services were exchanged. He went on to be um, one of the very early employees at a company called Emma Email Marketing, the CTO. Today, he runs a venture fund for healthcare. He's a part owner in the Nashville Major League Soccer team. It all started with this I am. And I think one of the things that's really important, I think this goes to the streaking idea and, you know, I think I want to be versus I am, is this notion of you don't have to initially believe that you can do it. You just need to believe that you believe, believe that you can believe that you can do it. You know that, so you've, you've changed my mind about something. And, and this is, this is rather significant because one of the things that I've always looked at as we've started, as we started streaking and there's, there's who I want to be. And then what do I do to be that person? So, mm. so, so the streaking side is the do, what am I doing consistently, consecutively to be this person? And I always felt by writing, I am, even though I knew I wasn't there, that I was an imposter. And so mm. I'm going to write, I want to be. I'm going to be, you know, I want to be a a loving, caring husband and father. I want to be a professional um, 
who is engaging and enthusiastic in speaking, mm-hmm. teaching, and writing. But what you've just done has helped me to, to bridge a gap that I've had in my brain. And that is that I've made the decision to be those things. And so I can actually write now, I am these things. I mean, one of the quotes that you brought out, I mean, and especially with Marcus's story, saying that I am a writer makes it more likely, and this is right from Smart Growth is too, that the book will get finished than saying I write. As a Christian, I find it powerful that Jesus repeatedly proclaims himself with the I am statements. I am the good shepherd. I am the bread of life. I am the living water. To grow smarter and faster, we need to use I am statements to help us self-actualize. You're a pianist. You're a runner. You're a collector. And I, I just want to say thank you because, Whitney, you have, with what you put together there, it helped me to recognize that I'm not an imposter. I know that I've got way, a ways to go, but I can state I am, even though, and I look at Christ, okay, here's a perfect being. He can say it. He's not an imposter. <laughs> no. But but for me, I can start with, you know what? I am a father. I am a, I, I am, um, a professional who enjoys and wants to engage with individuals in a meaningful way. And that's actually, such a more powerful actually, I'm gonna statement. Coach, I'm gonna coach yeah, coach me a little bit. Yeah. I am a professional who engages with people in a meaningful way. Yes. Boom. Boom. Stated. Mm-hmm. So and then, critical. And then initially it will feel scary, but when you, there, there's a wonderful um, statement, I call it what the, the Korihor principle, which is where you say it so many times you believe it's You believe true. it? Yes. Yeah. It's a great principle. <laughs> and so, so why not just flip that and have it be, I'm going to say this so many times that I'm going to rewire the neurons in my brain. And as soon as my brain believes something, then the, my body will figure out how to make it true. Yeah. So, so what, so I have a streak that is to write my B statement at least one time daily. And that's mm-hmm. one of the things I do is, and for the longest time I've written it as I want to be, because I'm aspiring to this position, I'm now going to start writing it as I am and going in that direction. I think that's, that's the way to go. And that was, that was why I wanted to talk about it is because the same, and we had an experience early on with Megan Sumerell when we were talking to her on her podcast and she had started a streak of same thing. I want to write a sentence once a day. And, and she brought this up. She said, I am a writer now because I am doing what a writer does. I am writing every day. And, mm-hmm. and then she did preface it just like you say, I'm, I'm not going to say I'm a good writer yet because I don't feel that way. But there is that level. And, and so when you brought that up again, kind of the second witness that I thought, okay, I need mm-hmm. to rethink this because I have had some of those challenges of, well, I find it hard to say I'm a runner, even though I run a lot because I feel like in order okay, to Okay, you be, have to pause right there. You run every day. I, exactly. <laughs> you have a streak to run every day. To and we've run done that or for walk six every years. day. Exactly. And I've run races, but because I was never like a fast runner or because uh-huh. I didn't feel that I measured up in the runner's world, it right. felt uncomfortable to say I am a runner. And and so I've loved recognizing and, and, and being able to shift that a little bit and say, okay, there is power in saying I am this. I may not be doing it at the level that I aspire to be eventually, but I am, I am this person. I am doing this. I am, I am living this way. Therefore, I am a runner or I am a writer or I am 
a person who seeks out and values feedback. Those are, mm. it, there's a lot of power well there. Well said. And, and when you say it, it feels powerful. It's scary, mm-hmm. but it's powerful. And that's, that's what's, because we're basically re, we're building new neural pathways. Yep. And this particular area is in the collector phase of the S curve. Is that correct? When, when yes. I decide mm-hmm. I am, that's, mm-hmm. it's at the be- launch point and yep. then you're starting to go from there. Mm-hmm. So talk to us a little bit now about, so as we get to, and we've so enjoyed the time that you've given us, um, talk to us a little bit. There's two, there's an analogy that you use that I wanted to get your insight on. And I think it was in the metamorph stage and it may not have been, but about the lily pad in the pond. Uh-huh. I, I was, that's such a fascinating analogy. And I, I was curious about its origin and then, uh-huh. and then just share with us a little bit about how you use that in the book and what it's, yeah. what it references. Okay. Yeah, so I I was really intrigued by that because we talk about exponential growth all the time. People say exponential growth and they use lily pads to explain it like one and two and four and six and eight. I thought, okay, that's interesting. Um, but if I just use that, then it will be hackneyed. So how can I take this that's pretty familiar for people and make it so that it becomes richer and more meaningful? And so um, I happen to be married to a biologist. And so he helped me <laughs> think through this idea of carrying capacity. And so when you're thinking about an S-curve, you can also use this idea of a lily pad in a p- pond. And here's what it looks like. At the launch point of an S-curve, what's happening with the lily pad? Well, there are no lily pads. There are just these stems who are in the water that are trying to make their way down into the mud and muck of a pond and to put in roots. And so this is the launch point. There's a lot that's happening, but it's all below detection. It's all below the water. You can't see any of it. That's the launch point of the lily pad of learning. But then gradually, as it puts in all those roots, it's going to have these stems that are going to peek up through the water. And they're going to start to unfurl these beautiful flowers on the surface of the water. And what's so captivating about this particular time is you're going to have one and then two and then four and then eight and then 16. And right now, early on in the sweet spot, there's also still plenty of carrying capacity, meaning there's plenty of sunlight, there's plenty of water, so the lily pads can just proliferate. But then the pond is going to get full. And once the pond gets full, you're in mastery. There can't be any more lilies because there's not enough sun There's not enough sun to go around for them. There's not enough water for them to go around. And so now you're basically going to stop growing. Over time, you can get algae ridden. But if you want to continue to grow the lily pads, you need to find a new pond. So Mm -hmm. that's the metaphor that you can use to think about growth is, yes, you can think about a mountain. Yes, you can think about a wave, but you can also use the lily pond. I like that. As you, uh, as you look at that and consider it, and this is again, uh, just drawing the parallels with streaking, as I look at it, the uh, compound interest, right? The eighth wonder mm-hmm. of the world. It's, mm-hmm. it's totally that I'm, I'm getting going. I have my streak. I'm doing my one little thing on a daily basis. And that compounds over time to where I'm now in the sweet spot. And then finally up in the, in the mountaineering or at the top where I'm at mastery. Mm-hmm. And that mastery is where I can now decide whether or not I want to continue that particular streak. And there's always the floor of the streaks that I keep going on. So I also like it too, because in our previous house, we had a stream and at the bottom of the stream, there was a pond. 
And I thought it would be kind of easy to just add stuff to that pond, but I recognized very quickly that creating an ecosystem is very difficult and requires a lot of balance and a lot of attention and a lot of everything kind of needing to be in the right place. But I like a lot the visual of of the roots being down there and you can't quite yet see what's happening. And then you start to see the lily pads growing and you get to see the beauty of it. And then it continues to grow, but then also recognizing that it reaches a place where you've added this beauty to the world in this spot, but now you need to go to a different spot and and, mm-hmm. and add beauty like in that. a different place. So I like the I idea that. of growth can be a mountain and and I've climbed a 14er a couple of times and that is a lot of work and there's a lot involved in it. And, and so I like the idea of looking at growth as a mountain, but I also really love this idea of looking at growth as as allowing, as increasing beauty in different places in the world mm-hmm. and, and being able to say, okay, this place didn't have as much beauty and, and I, I planted a lily pad and it grew and there was a whole bunch of them. And now, and I can look at that and enjoy it and appreciate it, but it's also time to take that and go someplace else Ooh. and do it again. Jamie, I love that insight. Thank you for that. Mm. I'm gonna so, remember that. Uh, before you go on, here's the question. Are you a climber? Am I? I am a climber. <laughs> that, that was, was good. Yes. Right answer. <laughs> I am a climber. Good. I climb mountains. I'll yes. tell you the the mountain that we climbed. It was interesting because I did see a metamorphosis of Jamie through this climb. Mm-hmm. So we were going up mm-hmm. Mount Quandry, and Mount Quandry is one of the easier fourteens fourteeners in Colorado. Mm-hmm. And we decided to climb it as a family. And uh, Chance is our youngest, and he was nine nine at the time. And we were climbing. We got to a a point on the climb. Let's just, let's call it, we were getting to the peak. We were still in the sweet spot, but it was one of those areas where we were coming up on the top and Chance was done. Well, and the weather had changed enough. We were cold and, and your fingers start to puff up when you get to a certain, I mean, there's just some levels of discomfort that were included with that. So Jamie and Chance, this was a moment that I'll never forget because Chance was like, I'm done. I'm going back down. I'm not going to do this. And we could see the peak. We could see where the top was. But it was still far enough away that you knew. It's like, it's that same thing when you run a marathon, you get to mile 20 and people are like, you're almost there. And you're like, I still have six miles. (laughs) I mean, to you, I'm almost there. But to me, I recognize that those six miles and I felt that same way we were at mile 20. You could see the end, but you also had the experience and the knowledge to know I've got to dig deep to get to there. It's not as close as what it is, what it looks. Right. Yeah. So they were sitting on a rock and Chance was crying and he he didn't want to go on. And Jamie took him and looked at him straight in the eyes and said, I'm scared to do this. I'm cold. I'm tired. I know you're scared. You're cold. You're tired. But we're going to do this together and we are going to finish this. It was a moment that I will cherish forever. And they went, they, they climbed up the rest of it. And it was just a beautiful moment. I'm, I'm supposing in, in the S curve of learning, those moments come there's those moments where you're just like, I don't want to go on. That is so good. And I, I just want to pause for a nanosecond. I think that's a really, really important story for you to put into your next book. And the reason I think it's important, I hope it's already there is that um, this that's what leadership is um, people are talking about well how do i get my people to talk about mental well-being how do i get my people to change you talk about your mental well-being you change you share the experience that you're having and and jamie in that moment that was such 
leadership. And I think it's so compelling and so powerful. I do hope that you'll include that in your next book. Thank you. It was fun to look at it and have Jeff tell that story because mm -hmm. being in the story was a little bit different. I, I was nervous. I'm like, this is scary where it's high and, and we're literally clamoring over these rocks. And I've got my little child here that I, that I was nervous that we had brought him along and maybe second guessing a little bit, but it did reach a point where I had to make a decision where I'm like, either we go back down or, or we finish this. And, and I'm like, okay, we're, we're going to finish this chance. We're going to do it. So it's fun to have Jeff tell that story because living it felt a little different retrospect. I'm like, Oh, that was good. In the moment I was just like making that decision of, of thinking, I don't want to quit, but I'm scared to go on and, and kind of holding together and being like, we can do this together. We're going to go together. Yeah. So, oh, it's so good. I would love to continue this conversation. And there's a couple of questions just before we end. We could mm. speak for another few hours on this because... I'm sure we could. <laughs> and for all of our streakers out there, as you as you listen to this conversation, please do um, take an opportunity to buy Smart Growth and to read it and internalize it. There's exercises that help in each stage. There's really things that help you to look at where you are and and who you are deciding to be and then deciding I am going to be that person and then starting the streaks that you want to do to mm -hmm. start that climb of that S curve. So in, as we just wrap up here, there's two questions that um, we get asked quite often. And I, I'm curious as to if you get asked this question, mm. can you have more than one S curve going at a time? Because we get asked the question all the time, how many streaks can you have going at a time? Mm -hmm. Can you have more than one S curve going at a time? So that's the question number one. And then the final, just leave us with your thoughts of, you know, you're, you've, you've climbed several S curves. You've written several books. You've have a successful company and podcast. You regularly talk to successful people after people hear you or read your books or, or, mm, you know, just experience that. What, what do you want them to walk away feeling and understanding? You know, mm -hmm. what is your desire for them? Mm -hmm. So that, so that'd be the two, the S curves, how many? And then okay. just that yeah, last one. Great question. Okay, so the, the the first answer is yes, absolutely. Um, your life is a portfolio of S curves, and so you you're you're on a professional S curve. You're on a parenting S curve. Um, you're you probably got hobby S curves. You might have a church S curve. You, you have an education S curve. So you've got a portfolio of S curves, just like I you really like that portfolio. Portfolio yeah. of you know your team is a portfolio of S curves, etc. Now that being said, if you look at project management and the research on that, people and you also look at the neuroscience, we can't hold more than three to five things in our head at a time. And so, as you're thinking about your portfolio of S curves, you want to say, all right, I probably am not going to be able to do three more than four very well. And I also want to ask myself if I'm at the launch point on one curve that is really taxing for me, I might want to try to find one place where I'm in mastery that isn't taxing, and then one or two where I'm very much in the sweet spot so that you can manage that and you're, you're diversifying your S-curves just like you would diversify a portfolio. So that would be my my thought there. And, and my guess is it's probably, I don't know though, I'm guessing you could have more streaks than that because you could have it in different phases of your life. But, mm -hmm. but nonetheless, yeah. Similar, yeah. similar, similar concept. We, we always ask the question and the, to your point is, are your streaks valuable and additive mm -hmm. and are they in line with who you are? And if they're mm -hmm. in line with who you are, you're going to continue those. You're going to keep going with what those are. 
and I, I, I enjoy that. What's my portfolio of S curves and where are they mm-hmm. performing in each one of those? And that's what I was going to say too, with the streaks is that there's, as I look at the different streaks that I have, there's times that I am just maintaining that streak. It's not necessarily getting a huge amount of energy or effort, but I am continuing to maintain mm-hmm. it. And then there's other times that certain streaks really go to the forefront and I, and I look at it and I'm like, okay, I'm putting more energy and effort into this than than what I was in the past. And so I think that kind of ebbs and flows and, and just that dynamic aspect of a, of yeah. a streak that sometimes you are just doing it and maintaining it. Right. And, and oftentimes I've had an, a, an experience personally that I was maintaining a streak, but then I received a new responsibility and now that streak different will be S-curve. a different S-curve. And S-curve. so now I'm going up that S-curve with a different streak. And, and that streak is going to receive a lot more attention and time and energy. However, I'm so grateful that I've been doing the minimal on it because mm-hmm. it's been a part of my life. So making right. it a bigger part now is is much easier and I'm more confident to move forward because I've been having that as kind of that floor that I that I can stand yeah. on. And now as I stand on that, I can reach for something a little bit further out of reach. Yeah, I love it. So in the spirit of, of this conversation, so I, I, I've just downloaded your app, so I haven't used it yet, but I'll tell you three streaks that I have. One is that um, I have since the pandemic had a streak and I think I've pretty much done it every day is to play the piano every day. And sometimes when I say play the piano every day, it is literally five seconds and that's okay. Cause it's yep. every day. It's every day. And then I have two other streaks. One is that I have a, a come follow me scripture app, which I think I'm on day 88. And then I have, um, I'm learning Korean. <laughs> and so, uh, I have a streak there and I think I'm on day 88 when I say learning Korean, basically doing three minutes a day. But again, I can recognize letters now because mm-hmm. I'm doing a little bit every day. So in right. the in the spirit of discussing streaking, I thought I would share a few of mine. Thank you for sharing Thank your you. streaks with yes. us. And in the app, this is the beautiful part is you can share those and there's a community of people that celebrate. With the three uh-huh. laws of streaking, the community of celebration is just so powerful. And yeah. that's what I love about S-curves is you can start to share your S-curves and yeah. how powerful that is to have the celebration. Yeah. Oh, so fun. Yeah. Okay. So you wanted me to answer the last question. Um, I have two thoughts thoughts on this. First of all, I, I think um, my my goal is, or my purpose is, and I talk about this in the book, is that I want for people who interact with me, and sometimes I do this really well and sometimes I don't do it well, but I, this is what I want, is, um, I need to say I am. See, now I, I'm self-correcting <laughs> as well. I'm, I, I can hear you, you coaching me as I'm talking. <laughs> it, is that for every single person that I interact with to have a greater sense of their possibility, of, of who they are, and other sense of possibility. And I think about a conversation or an interaction that I had with Bob Proctor, who just now passed away. He Oh, that was such a great me. podcast, by the way, that, oh, what you did yeah. with Bob Proctor. I mm. listened to that, I think twice or three times. I'm going to listen to it again. Oh, so, so phenomenal. Good. What a yeah. neat, neat individual. Yeah. Yeah. He really was. And he, he saw me, he saw me for who I was and who I could be. And that was such a gift. And it's hard to do that with everybody you meet, like the the grocery store clerk, but that that is my aspiration. Um, and then in terms of this book, my goal for this book is that I believe that growth is our default setting. I believe that human growth is unbounded. 
I believe that if you understand what growth looks like, you increase your capacity to grow. And so this book is meant to give you a map of what growth looks like so that you can make progress. That's the goal. That is beautiful. What a wonderful way to end our podcast for today. Thank you, Whitney, so much for joining us. For all of our streakers out there, uh, Whitney Johnson's book, Smart Growth, as well as I loved your Disrupt Yourself book as well. That was a, a huge one for me. I'd recommend both of them. Um, as you put the three together, streaking, smart growth, and disrupt yourself, you've got a really good basis to be able to have consecutive consistency in your life to really uh, move forward on that. Um, I just want to say thank you, Whitney, to you and Jamie. Any thoughts that you have as we close up? Just the same thing. Thank you so much. I love having conversations where I, my challenge, my thoughts can be challenged a little bit and I can look at something differently and think, okay. And for me, that going from I want to be to I am is, is something I'm going to continue to think about and really ponder. And then and I, I love the, I love that your goal and your aspiration and your desire is to help people to see their full potential and that you start by looking at people and seeing potential in them. And and I think that's, I, I admire that and appreciate it and think that that is a wonderful thing to lead the world. So thank you for being, thank you for being on this podcast and for us having the chance to talk with you. This has been a treasure. Thank you. It was very, very fun. Awesome. All right, streakers. So that's it for today. Remember that the app has just recently been app, uh, upgraded, which means you can now follow your fellow streakers. And we'd love for you to follow us, follow our streaks, follow where they are. Give us a, a add a boy or a, or a thumbs up as we'll do the same for you. You can also start your streaks. If you want to get a hold of Jamie or I, please do so with, uh, you can shoot us an email at Jamie, or excuse me, Jeffrey. <laughs> I was going to do your email address. Jeffrey at J-F-F-E-R-Y at streakingmastery.com or Jamie at J-A-M-I at streakingmastery.com. Although we should do that sometime. Yeah, we should flip it and I'll it give you yours. Yeah. Anyway, so thanks everyone for joining us. Have a wonderful day and keep streaking. You